Thursday, the 5th of October, the Feast of St. Faustina. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we put our trust in you. You led your people through the desert, dry, or through the sea, dry shod. Let us put our trust in you as you lead us through this day's challenges. You fed your people in the desert. Let us hear your word of life amid the noise of our busy lives today. You gave your people water from the rock. Let us drink from the fountain of life and not from bitter and polluted waters. O Lord our God, you sent into the midst of faithless humanity the living bread, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to nourish and strengthen us on the road. Through the mystery of the cross, you poured forth upon us the Spirit, the water of life. Have mercy on our lack of trust and lead us in your ways today through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In St. Faustina, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you're with us here on a Thursday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has got our video stream up and running, which you can access in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Robert Nixon will be along from Australia, live from Australia, to talk about his recently translated work uh, of Albert the Great. And we're going to be focusing on what Albert had to say about the virtue of love. Stephanie Mann has more stories from English Catholic history for us. Father Philip Michael Tangora will look at some of the uh, other dubia questions that have come out, this time from the Czech bishops uh, that kind of got buried in uh, the news cycle because of the sort of more famous dubia submitted by that group of five cardinals. Uh, but Father Phil will talk about that from a canon law perspective. And then we'll get more thoughts on mental illness and the Catholic take on that with pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast. So please do stay with us if you are able. Right now, it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise are both launching bids to replace Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. A group of conservative Republicans voted with Democrats on Tuesday to oust McCarthy. Some conservatives are also recommending Donald Trump for the job. Trump told reporters yesterday he'll do whatever is best for the country, but said he's focused on becoming president again. An election for House Speaker is set for next Wednesday. Catholic Relief Services is calling the Pope's latest apostolic exhortation a rallying cry for the crucial policy work needed to change paths to address climate change. CRS released a statement in the wake of the release of the exhortation, saying, quote, In Laudate Deum, Pope Francis again calls us to action, highlighting the urgent need to care for our planet as the climate crisis deeply affects our global communities, especially the most vulnerable. At Catholic Relief Services, they say we stand with those communities facing the harsh impacts of the climate crisis from deadly droughts to forced migration. This unity drives our push for policies that lessen climate impacts and encourage sustainable development, end quote. The gathering of the Synod on Synodality is now underway in earnest in Rome. 
From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. Taken one way, a synod is any such gathering of believers. Over the centuries, there have been many hundreds of them in many different Christian churches. In the Catholic Church, however, the term synod of bishops has taken on a special meaning since the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s. Following that council, Pope St. Paul VI established the Synod of Bishops to continue the collaboration between prelates, which had been such a great success at the meeting. This Synod of Bishop remains active to this day. It's consultative. That means it aims to help the Pope with his tasks of teaching and governing the Church, but it doesn't actually have any decision-making power itself. However, this meeting of the Synod of Bishops, which is referred to as a General Assembly, is unique in that participants will not only be members of the hierarchy. On Pope Francis's instruction, around 20% of attendees will be non-bishops, priests, male and female religious, and laypeople. Some of these were proposed by bishops' conferences around the world before being approved by Pope Francis. Others were appointed directly by the Pope. All will have the same voting rights as the bishops. Moreover, Pope Francis has specified that half of the non-bishop participants must be female. Thus, for the first time, women will have the right to vote at the General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops. The assembly will last a month to be followed by another one in October 2024. After that, the Pope is expected to release an apostolic exhortation, that is, a letter summarizing his takeaways from the meeting. I'm Francesca Merlo. 400 more Ford workers in Michigan are being told not to report to work today due to the United Auto Workers strike. Ford says the layoffs are for 350 employees at the Livonia Transmission Plant and 50 employees at the Sterling Axle Plant as those factories make parts for the Chicago Assembly Plant. The Chicago plant was included in the UAW's strike expansion last Friday. Ford officials say the layoffs are not a lockout. Negotiations to end the Hollywood actors' strike will resume tomorrow. The Actors' Union made the joint statement yesterday with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. The statement said both sides met Wednesday for a bargaining session and the negotiations will resume Friday with the parties working internally over the weekend before returning on Monday. The Actors Union is seeking a new three-year contract from producers that includes protection from AI technology and more profits from streaming revenue. The head of Homeland Security is calling for construction of a border wall in parts of Texas. Mark Mayfield has the story. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is citing an acute and immediate need to waive dozens of federal laws to build a border wall in parts of Texas where illegal migration has surged recently. The announcement, published in the Federal Register, calls for border wall construction in Starr County along the Rio Grande, where the Biden administration says there is a high illegal entry. I'm Mark Mayfield. And just like that, Major League Baseball's wild card round is complete. The Diamondbacks, Twins, Phillies, and Rangers all swept their best-of-three series to advance to the divisional series, which will begin on Saturday. The Rangers took down the Rays 7-1 to complete the two-game sweep in St. Petersburg. Texas will now take on the Orioles in the ALDS. The Twins took care of business with a 2-0 shutdown win in Toronto, over the Toronto Blue Jays to clinch their playoff, their first playoff series win in 21 years. Minnesota will now head into the ALDS against the Houston Astros. Arizona downed the Brewers 5-2 to on the road to advance to the NLDS where they will face the Dodgers 
And in Philly, the Phillies won 7-1 to over the Marlins in Game 2. They'll continue their playoff journey against the Braves. It is going to be very interesting because, you know, there are a few teams in there who've been to the— uh been to the big stage the big world series stage mm-hmm. in the past few years but there's a lot of teams who have not been to that stage in a very very in a long time very long time so yeah, i'm i'm fascinated to have see how you, it all plays out okay i know you refuse to like make a prediction on the air all it does fear. is get the listeners upset with me. right but do you have an, a mental prediction like, i don't have, have a mental prediction chosen? i i'm rooting for the orioles oh well, of course. They're like, but down I make the road no predictions about how they will do. Okay. All right. I feel like fair. we've got a Rangers contingent that shows up in our uh, in our social media. There's that going on, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure who I'm going to root for. Yeah. All on right, the National League side, this. I mean, we've got, we've got some interesting options. I mean, the Diamondbacks haven't been there for a while, and nobody expected that they would be this. Mm-hmm. In this in this place, they had a big run, then they slid down a little bit. Yeah, my father-in-law grew up a Phillies fan, mm. so I might I might just do that for That's the familial one thing I can't do. familial cordiality. I, predictions uh, aside, even if I think it will be the case, I can't root for Philly or the Dodgers. I mean, I understand. Totally. You know where I'm coming from. I know where you. I totally know where you're coming from with this. I just can't do it. Yeah. I'm ontologically incapable. Today is Thursday, October the 5th. It is the Feast of St. Faustina. Also the Feast of Blessed Bartolo Longo. If you don't know his story, go check it out because it's pretty incredible. He was a satanic priest and now is a saint in heaven. So that gives you a little indication of his conversion story. Go check it out. Father Robert Nixon joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia, translator of the Tan Resurrection series. And we are diving into the book, The Paradise of the Soul by St. Albert the Great. Father, welcome back. It's great to be with you today. It is great to have you. And... uh, So as we dive into this book, the very first virtue that St. Albert decides to study with us is love. And he uses the greatest commandment from our Lord to sort of organize this chapter, correct? Indeed, absolutely. And this makes a lot of sense. It begins with love of God. And then after love of God comes love of one's neighbor, to love one's neighbor as oneself. And so and he can... begins this in a very... Sorry, go ahead, Father. I think we have a little bit of a delay this morning. Oh, yes. He begins it in a very logical way, explaining that our human nature naturally loves everything that is good. And because the epitome, the perfection of all goodness is to be found in God, It's therefore perfectly in accordance with our nature to love God, possible love. Yeah, and so, and this is a theme that kind of runs throughout this chapter on love. You talked about our natural tendency to love goodness, but we have to move beyond our nature when it comes to love, correct? 
in, indeed we do. And our love for God um, becomes perfect. A sign of a, a really well-developed love for God is to love him equally in adversity as well as in blessing, when things are difficult as well as things are easy. Um, and similarly, our love for our neighbor needs to extend equally to our friends and our enemies, um, to people with whom we are connected by natural bonds and also to people with whom we have no such connection. Uh, St. Albert tells us that this is the perfection of love when can, we do that. Can you talk about the the two reliable signs of love when toward God that that St. Albert describes? Because he he brings up the idea that um, you know it's it's easy to love God if we want something from him, but not so easy to love God outside of of that kind of motivation. Indeed. So this is a part of the perfect love of God, recognizing his perfect goodness and wisdom. So not only to love him and to thank him when things are going in, in our way, in such a way that we're finding things enjoyable or pleasant, but also when we experience pain and difficulty and so forth, to recognize equally that it's the same God who in his infinite wisdom sends us these things for ways which far exceed our comprehension. And the other sign of love is to be genuinely displeased with everything which we know is going to displease God. And I think this is so important because we see so many things in the world these days which are contrary to God's law and to feel a genuine sorrow at these things. Because if God is someone we love, then anything which offends God also offends us. And I think that really comes to a head when it's something that we're doing in our own lives that we know would displease God and, and coming to terms with that. Let's talk about love of one's neighbor, but specifically love of enemies, because I was, you know, I'm tracking along with St. Albert through this and I'm thinking, yeah, 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 I want my enemies to go to heaven. And then... And then he drops this bomb on me, Father, Indeed. and he says, it's Indeed. not enough. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I mean, you know, of course we wish everyone, even our mortal enemy in heaven, but he says, no, that we don't have control over. To love them as we love ourselves, we, we have to wish for their happiness and well-being, um, even while they're on earth here. So, um, yeah, so I think enough to pray for the salvation of their souls, but to think, well, <laughs> their life on earth, you know, doesn't matter to me or, or you know. Um, no, we have to actually seek their genuine happiness, um, not just their conversion. So we have to, um, you know, if we can help them, we have to try to help them. If something bad happens to them, we should feel sorrow for that. Um, and he points out uh, a little earlier that although we're bound to love uh, everyone in the same way as we love ourselves, that doesn't necessarily mean we're bound to love them with the same intensity or with the same degree of effort or responsibility. Obviously, uh, those we are connected with, our family members uh, and so forth, we, we're going to work a lot harder for them than we are for strangers. 
but we still equally wish them uh, happiness and well-being, both in this present world and, of course, salvation in the world to come. Yeah. I mean, when he points out the fact that we should not be feeling sorrow at something that uh, good that happens for our enemies, you think of how many instances we have that pang of sorrow when we see an enemy oh, succeed yes. in some way and this in, it, this it, became it, such yeah. a challenging chapter it, it, you know any i'm sure we have that feeling and one thing he mentions as a sign of of hatred is when you hear a person's name or even think of them and you kind of get this unpleasant feeling this kind of cringy feeling um, to be struck with sadness or dejection. I, I guess, you know, so many of us from time to time do experience that in relation to particular people. But he alerts us to the fact that that, in fact, is contrary to this commandment of love. Does this book get any easier to swallow, Father? <laughs> um, I'm just it, kidding. It, 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 continues, it continues to be challenging, Annie, and I think that's because... St. Albert was such a, a great observer of human nature and also his own mind and his own heart. To, so he often hits the uh, nail right on the head yeah. with things which, you know, speak deeply to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. He makes the point that our adversity often is uh, the better spiritual benefits to us than when we have good things happening to us. I mean, all of this stuff was just so striking, and we're only in chapter one. So, oh boy, humility is coming up next. So, that one should be fun, too. <laughs> the Paradise Indeed. of the Soul is the name of the book by St. Albert the Great, translated by Father Robert Nixon. Father, really appreciate your thoughts this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Granny. God bless you, and God bless all your listeners. You too, Father. Thank you. All right. 18 past. We're back with headlines right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is. And put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share, 844-334-3245. The most original Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. On Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Father Joseph and Doug Keck mine decades of phone calls answered by Mother Angelica. Mother dishes out teaching, advice, laughter, and plenty of prayers as she takes calls from her family. Mother Angelica answering the call Sunday afternoon to Eastern on EWTN Radio. 19 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. 
Republican Congressman Jim Jordan and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise have both thrown their hat in to be the next Speaker of the House. Catholic Relief Services is calling the Pope's latest apostolic exhortation a rallying cry for crucial policy work on climate change. And the gathering of the Synod on Synodality is now underway in Rome. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It is funny, like, so, um, you know, now that we have cameras up, you can see that, like, you're trying to figure out, you can see the, the confused look on your face when you're trying to figure out if uh, Father Robert Nixon is dealing with a delay, doing a live stream. Did I uh, have a really stream from Australia? Look on my face, I wasn't looking at it. First myself. thing in the morning when the <laughs> signal goes literally from the opposite side of Earth. Yeah, it's like the middle of the night for him. Yeah, it's pretty but, amazing. Oh my gosh, Matt. That Albert the Great book. Oh yeah. This it's is going to be it's going to be an intense 42 weeks. Oh my goodness. 42 virtues. Bring it on. It's 21 past. Waking up with Mystic Monk coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. Lord Jesus, who loves us so much, we have not loved you as we easily might have, nor served you enough in our neighbor as we could have. We are truly sorry for this unfaithful love and promise to do better in the future because you accept everything that we do in God's grace when done in a spirit of love and obedience as reparation. We now offer you and your heart our every thought, word, deed, and suffering in union with your own sufferings. Join our reparation to that which you ceaselessly offer to the Father in the Mass and in the silence of the tabernacle. Help us to suffer lovingly and to aid those who suffer. Make your redemptive love fruitful in the hearts of all those who will die today, so that all of us may love you forever in heaven. Amen. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Stephanie Mann. Go read her excellent blog over at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning, Anna. Nice to talk to you again. It is nice to have you back, and we're continuing our series on the mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors by Father Henry Sebastian Bowden. And today we're going to be talking about another confessor, so someone who did not die a martyr, is not necessarily uh, beatified or canonized either, but but still right. very much consequential 
in the time of persecution of the church during the the English Reformation. And today we are focusing on a man named George Gilbert, who formed what was known as the Catholic Association. So what was the Catholic Association and how did Gilbert come to found it? George Gilbert uh, founded this association. It was a group of the terms used. are They were brave, young, Catholic men of land and fortune. In other words, they had money mm-hmm. and they were part of English society who then dedicated themselves to maintaining the funds that the, pre- the missionary priests would need, uh, making sure that they had all the uh, accoutrements they needed, they had horses, the right kind of clothing and then led them around to these priests to the different uh, Catholic homes so that they could serve the, the recusant Catholics. This is in the, this was formed in, in uh, the early 1580s. Uh, in 1581, it was approved actually by the Pope, Pope Clement the uh, uh, 13th, to do this, excuse me, Gregory the 13th uh, in 1580 on April 14th to do this work. And so there. Their purpose was, again, to support the missionary priests in all these different ways. So as the missionary priests were encountering all these dangers from the pursuivants or those who were on the lookout for Catholic priests being in England uh, and uh, trying to spread and and maintain the Catholic faith, these young men were also in danger as they helped support those those priests. And so it was a dangerous time. And then all of a sudden... The, the interesting thing is just that date. It was approved in 1580, and then in 1581, as as the Jesuits again started going to England as missionary priests, the English government realized the danger, or thought this was the danger that they faced with these uh, missionary priests, especially because St. Edmund Campion issued his great brag in which he says, this is why we're here. This is what we want to do. So they started to crack down and hunt for these priests in a more more organized way, just as this group had started organizing a way to get the priests around. So it it came at a dangerous time indeed. Yeah. And we'll get more into that in in just a second. But first, tell us more about the life of George Gilbert. What do we know? Right. I thought this was interesting in the, uh, uh, in Father Bowden's description of the, this Catholic association, particularly talking about George Gilbert, he said that he was had a large fortune. And the interesting terms I thought he used, he said he was a Puritan by profession, but he followed in his youth the life of a gay cavalier. So Puritan <laughs> and cavalier, you don't usually associate you don't put together. Those two together. But, yeah. uh, so he was, <laughs> yeah. But I guess he was having, he was enjoying his life. Well, I guess maybe he thought he was one of the elects, so it didn't matter, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> According to Calvinist. Yeah. So he went abroad, and then he went to Rome. And as often happens, the beauty of the church, the piety of Catholics that he saw attracted him to the Catholic Church. And he was actually reconciled by to the Catholic Church by Father Parsons, who was one of the great Jesuit leaders and would be one of those who would organize on the continent all the ways that Catholic priests and laity would be formed uh, uh, at the different Jesuit and other colleges. And so then he returned to England and then he started this process of, of uh, devoting himself to the missionary priest with this, this Catholic association uh, with papal approval. And Father Bowden uh, emphasizes that these members promised to live like the lives of the apostles. And, and mm-hmm. in fact, he uses, Father Bowden uses a verse from the Acts of the Apostles to say they, they had everything in common. They worked together. They helped the, sustain the church. And so they were uh, starting this process of, of helping the, the Catholic priests in 1581 through 1582 about until they had to leave England for the, because of the dangers that they were facing. 
Yeah. So what happens to George Gilbert in that time as they flee? He goes to, he goes to actually to Rome, like back to, back to Rome, and he becomes a student at the Venerable English College there in Rome that where so many of the priests, missionaries, and, and martyrs would die, uh, would graduate from and go to England. Mm-hmm. And he uh, one of the things that Father, Gil, Father Bowden mentions that's so important that Gilbert did was he started funding the frescoes that were, that yeah. at one time, they don't now, but illustrated the chapel of the English College in Rome that highlighted these, not only the past martyrs of England, like, uh, uh, well, like St. Thomas Beckett and those from earlier generations, but also these new Catholic martyrs who were suffering. And particularly one of those that's most opposite to to thinking about the work he'd been doing was a, a, and I have it on my blog spot for this uh, entry, a uh, depiction of the martyrdoms of uh, Saints Edmund Campion and Alexander Bryant and Ralph Sherman, Sherwin mm-hmm. on December 1st, 1581. And I think this may have been his greatest contribution to the whole cause of, of Catholicism in England because those frescoes were used when finally in the late 19th century, England could take pause and, and the diocese and, and the, the authorities in England could look back and say, these are men and women, these Catholic martyrs, who should be honored, should be raised to the uh, honors of the altar and become blessed and, and saints uh, in our church. And these frescoes were used as saying, see, there has been a, a, a pattern of veneration. They do have, a, people do have devotion to them. And so that was very important. So in a way, what he did as he was not in that very active pursuit of, of helping Catholic priests in England, what he did when he was in Rome before he died of a fever on October 6, 1583, was this process of, of illustrating the, the great martyrdoms that were taking place in his own age in England. Well, there you go. Thank you so much, Stephanie Mann. You can find her linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise are both launching bids to replace Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House. A group of conservative Republicans voted along with Democrats on Tuesday to oust McCarthy. An election for House Speaker is set for next Wednesday. Meanwhile, in Rome, the General Assembly of the Synod on Synodality is now entering a second day of deliberations. The delegates will be meeting all month long in Rome. The Catholic News Agency reports that as they began the gathering yesterday, the Relator General of the Synod, Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, encouraged them to read the sign of the times in order to discover a grammar of synodality for our time. He said, quote, just like the grammar of our languages changes as they develop so does the grammar of synodality. It changes with time, end quote. The lead bishop for environmental issues for the Bishops' Conference of England and Wales has said the Pope's new apostolic exhortation on climate change, Laudate Deum, is a pressing call to address the current climate and environmental crisis with immediate action. 
From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini has more. In a video interview published on the website of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales, Bishop John Arnold explains why, after the publication of the Laudato Si encyclical letter in 2015, the time for renewed action for the environment is now. It was a very powerful statement, but it was with strong warnings. And the unfortunate thing is that eight years on, several COP meetings later, we really have not been achieving the targets that those COP meetings have agreed. And the damage is not being reduced. In fact, in some ways, it's increasing. And some of the predictions of the environmentalists about what will be happening to the climate are proving to have been um, simplified. And they're actually accelerating faster now than those environmentalists were thinking. Bishop Arnold remarks that there are many reasons for action. Echoing Pope Francis' words, the English bishop therefore reiterates that each and every one of us has our part to play to address the crisis. I think we've got to understand that we are stewards of creation. Each and every one of us has our part to play. They may seem to be trivial measures that we take in order to save electricity, save water, eat less red meat, all these sorts of things, all small in themselves. But if we put them together, then they do make a big difference. From a Christian perspective, the lead bishop for environmental issues recalls that we can't take the most important commandments seriously unless we include nature and the environment. If we're really going to love our neighbour, we've got to look after the world in which we live because too many people are suffering through climate change and we've plundered other nations for our profit. I am Lisa Zingarini. The U.S. bishops are welcoming the new exhortation. James Rogers, chief communications officer for the USCCB, said in a statement, quote, USCCB President Archbishop Timothy Broglio has been on retreat with the Synod delegates and is participating in the opening sessions. Archbishop Broglio and his fellow bishops in the United States look forward to spending time with the exhortation in prayer and identifying ways to continue their shared witness on behalf of God's creation, end quote. 400 more Ford workers in Michigan are being told not to report to work today due to the United Auto Workers strike. Ford says the layoffs are for 350 employees at the Livonia Transmission Plant and 50 employees at the Sterling Axle Plant as those factories make parts for the Chicago Assembly Plant, which was included in the UAW's strike expansion last Friday. The 2030 World Cup will be played in six countries across three continents. Trey Thomas has more. Morocco, Spain, and Portugal will be the official co-host of the tournament. Meanwhile, FIFA awarded the three opening matches to Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay in honor of the 100th anniversary of the World Cup. Uruguay hosted the first ever World Cup in 1930, where it beat Argentina. I'm Trey Thomas. And the MLB wildcard round is complete. The Arizona Diamondbacks, Minnesota Twins, Philadelphia Phillies, and Texas Rangers all swept their best-of-three playoff series to advance to the divisional series. It's 35 past the... You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. 
Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. The Holy Spirit gives us his advice through the words of the Prince of the Apostles. Take great care to use your time well, and make sure of your vocation through good works. This warning must make us live in great fear and humility in whatever state we find ourselves. But at the same time, we must raise our heart to the divine goodness invoking his grace and his help, and keeping our affection fixed on him by means of frequent and fervent ejaculations. Whatever the world considers wonderful is nothing but an illusion, a fantasy, or a lie. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Very happy to have you along with us on a Thursday morning. Father Philip Michael Tangora joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a pastor, a canon lawyer, and author of Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life. Good morning, Father. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you back. So uh, we've uh, talked about one set of dubia that got sent to Pope Francis uh, from Cardinal Burke and Cardinal Zen and and Cardinal Sarah and others. And that really took the Catholic talking head world by storm. So some, many, may have missed that there was a different set of dubia submitted to the Pope and also received a reply from the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith um, from the Czech bishops. What were their dubia all about? Their dubia had to deal with the Moris Laetitia, uh, which was the Pope's apostolic exhortation based off of the two synods on marriage and family uh, some years ago. And this had to deal with that uh, question of the internal forum solution and the situation of those who are divorced civilly remarried but not annulled not married or convalidated in the catholic church and their ability to receive the sacraments especially the eucharist and we received this uh response uh from the uh dicastery the uh, con- uh of the Doctrine of the Faith, as well as signed and approved by Pope Francis himself. And though it, what it has done is it says that those who cannot get an annulment and are civilly remarried, there is now retroactively to the date of the promulgation of Amoris Laetitia, they can now appeal to the internal forum with their priest 
and through discernment, spiritual accompaniment, and the sacrament of penance, hmm. then approach the Eucharist. What is Even the internal that, forum? Sorry, can I ask that real quick? So the, sure, the internal forum is spiritual direction. It's the sacrament of penance. Oh, okay. It's anything that is not, if you will, the external forums, the things that are made publicly manifest. Sure. Okay. Now, um, well, you have some thoughts. Yeah. So the situation is uh, there are... Uh, you're now having someone who is in an adulterous relationship, objectively so, uh, being able to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, of the Eucharist. So there are a couple of things that have arisen in the dubia that uh, have led me to some questions, all right? Because there's also the talk of other spiritual means of participating in the life of the church, that should be offered to those who cannot remain continent in their non-sacramental union. So the question is, first of all, I should say Pope Francis and the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith made clear that along with John Paul and Pope Benedict, that such people should live, uh, since they're in a non-sacramental union, out continents. Mm -hmm. However, Pope Francis has recognized that it could be an incapacity to remain continent in their non-sacramental union, which brings up my first question, who is incapable of being continent? I too can understand the difficulty of being in this, in a matrimonial type relationship, but incapacity means that one is truly unable to do something. To practice self-control. Yeah. Exactly. So if the person is incapable of controlling themselves sexually, then there is also the incapability of a sacramental marriage in accord with Canon 1095, number three. Hmm. So why is it that this that they are incapable? That language of incapacity is very significant canonically. Uh, and so I, I'm wondering who is truly incapable of being continent versus just having the difficulty of remaining continent in that relationship? Well, it's a good question to ask for sure. And also, can you talk about the idea of, of a valid confession in these circumstances? Yes. So what we have is the issue of contrition versus attrition, which also arose in the dubia question number five of Tuesday's response to the dubia of the five cardinals. Mm -hmm. uh, if a person is engaging in an objectively adulterous sexual relationship in a non-sacramental union and remains in this state of affairs, then there, then where is the real desire to reform one's life, which is necessary for a valid confession? Mm. So that's a, that's a question that arises from this uh, dubia that would need to be answered. And lastly, can a priest ever sanction the sexual acts of an illegitimately married person? Hmm. So the pastoral accompaniment of a priest could never condone a violation of the sixth commandment of God. Thus, the accompaniment of a priest needs to help them regularize the marital union. If they cannot get an annulment, which is an incredibly rare occurrence, then the priest needs to help them to live a continent lifestyle and mercifully hear their confession if they fall. So, I mean, I, I really kind of feel that, because uh, the thing is the dubia does make clear 
that the ordinary means of regularizing one's marriage would still be the fact that they get an annulment by going through that normal process and then have the, themselves married in the church or convalidated their marriage in the church. So tell me this, so that, Father, in in your opinion as as a canon lawyer and, and understanding all of the language coming out of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith here, I mean, is this would would this constitute a change in church teaching on the sacrament of marriage? Uh, it, it goes to the line. Let's put it like that. Okay. It definitely it goes to the line. Uh, there are some real questions uh, because how how can we ever have a permission for a violation of the sixth commandment? How can our spiritual accompaniment and discernment say to this couple who are in an irregular marriage, go ahead? Hmm. You know, and then what does that say about the sacrament of marriage for everybody else who is living that sacramental marriage uh, and, 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 you know, and having that authentically? See, the one thing is that it does talk about those who cannot get and that's really where its focus is, those who cannot get an annulment. And so this would be pretty about, narrow then, I guess. It would be incredibly, incredibly narrow. Uh, you know, in my own tribunal here in the Diocese of Patterson, nine out of 10 cases are annulled. Mm -hmm. All right. Get an affirmative decision. Uh, that 10% uh, of cases that are not granted an annulment uh, in an, in an affirmative decision, uh, there's still maybe the fact that it could be retried on alternative grounds or something like that. There, there could be a, so you're never necessarily just shut down. You could always appeal that decision. You could always uh, try it on and introduce new grounds. And then there's also this situation that, uh, it was brought up in the dubia of one who was abandoned. Well, even if the respondent does not participate, the tribunal can decree that par party absent in accord with Canon 1592 paragraph one, and the trial moves forward. Hmm. So even if the person's not going to, the other party's not going to participate, that's not a, that's not a end of the story. They hmm. don't have to participate. Uh, they have the right to be heard. They have the right of defending themselves and, and being and being able to present their own arguments and being made aware of all the different procedural steps of the trial and where things are at. But they they do not have to participate for an annulment to move forward. All you need is the petitioning party. Seems to me you know? that there needs to be a lot more knowledge of this entire process and what is available to people. Like our parish priests need to know more about this so that they can direct their parishioners in the the right way to a, be able to help them pastorally through this so that they can a, be regularized. Absolutely. There should be more workshops for pastors, but the best thing for a parish priest to do is tell the person, contact the tribunal. Yeah. Yeah. No pastor should be telling a person if they can or cannot proceed with an annulment case. Yeah. They should always leave that in the hands of a canon lawyer 
That is not the role of the pastor. Well, we'll leave that little piece of advice right there for folks as uh, <laughs> as we close out this conversation with Father Philip Michael Tangor. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this, Father. Thank you. God bless everybody. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. All right. It's 13 till our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, is next. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. Beyond Damascus with Dan Denate and Aaron Richards is our show for young adults. Everybody's talking about encounter. Everybody's talking about that mountaintop experience. What we fail to often talk about is what happens after, what happens beyond that Damascus moment. Jesus Christ is calling all of us to be missionary disciples, disciples of Jesus who are on mission to bring the kingdom of God here and now on this earth. Beyond Damascus with Dan Denate and Aaron Richards, Saturday at 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Jimmy Aiken, Mark Brumley, two hours of open forum. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. With us on this Thursday, October the 5th, the Sunrise Morning Show continues. It's always great to talk to Kevin Prendergast, our pastoral counseling correspondent, as it were, who's got lots of experience in the classroom, also in private practice. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. You know, this time in the morning, there are a lot of people looking at what they've got going on today, and they are stressed out about it. And uh, there are a lot of people who kind of probably went to bed stressed last night and, uh, you know, have been stressed maybe for a few weeks or longer, <laughs> you know, maybe since uh-huh. the start of school, maybe longer than that. Uh, how do we determine, uh, from your experience, mm-hmm. you know, as a pro in this area, whether we're just stressed out or whether we're in the realm of what uh, can be diagnosable as a possible anxiety disorder? Yeah, exactly, Matt. So I think just distinguishing would be helpful. So we hear too much about the mental health illness epidemic that's going on. And I always am cautious about that because there's a lot of self-report inventories, which are not the most valid ways to determine prevalence of mental disorder. So stress is not a mental disorder. And a little bit of anxiety is not a, a mental disorder. 
And, you know, we start with a couple of presuppositions, like life is difficult, as one of our psychiatrists said. Our Lord said, in the world, you will have trouble, right? So he says, says that, uh, you know, in his last uh, conversation with his disciples. So he's not promising a bed of roses. So we have difficulty. And is that always a mental health disorder? How do, what, what are some keys here? So one is that for anxiety, let's talk about this first in mental health awareness month, anxiety. So for an anxiety disorder, there's probably about 80 80% of the population do not have that. So it occurs in about one out of five people that have a diagnosable, they meet all the criteria. And those are things like social anxiety, generalized anxiety, phobias, OCD, panic disorder. Uh, but I have a lot of people that come in and say, they, well, I think I have OCD because I like to have my spices organized. But it's helpful to look at, you know, when we look at the diagnostic research and the prevalence over a year is about 1% of people actually have OCD. Only about, you know, two or three percent have generalized anxiety. So we all have stress. But I think it, it might be a little bit of a consolation, like, okay, stress is happening. And I like to think about it as a, it's kind of a red flag or a big red warning light going off that says something's out of balance. There was a, you know, pop movie that came out back in the 70s. I think it was called Koyana. Watsi, which was life out of balance, which I, and I always like that, that life out of balance. Yeah. You so know, as I you're saying this, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about mm -hmm. this because there's so many parallels, right? Uh, you know, we could mm -hmm. talk about how we, you know, maybe want to remove all sense of pain from our life, physical pain, but physical pain is actually very useful. <laughs> you know, it yeah. tells us when we need to stop uh, doing a certain thing because our body's like, you know, it will hurt if you continue to do this, right? Uh, yeah, there you are... know that you, yeah, exactly. You, you, you're, an, you're an athlete and you've had injuries and sometimes we, you know, work through the discomfort, but an injury is something different from discomfort. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm not trying to minimize like when people like people do have anxiety disorders and need a mental health professional. So, uh, you know, the attack that I'm taking these days, Matt, is when a lot of people, especially the younger folks, come in and they've been on social media a lot and there was a lot of self-diagnosis. So I say, I want to take that seriously. So you're obviously feeling some distress. Let's try to look at what's going on in your life. You know, do you need you know, to, you know, more of an assessment to see if you need medication. And some people absolutely need medication. I always encourage in these segments, you should be talking to your primary care physician regularly. They see a lot of this. They're pretty good at distinguishing. But is medication the first thing that I should try? And that's a good question a lot of the PCPs will ask is, what else have you tried to take care of this? And, and sometimes we do the bad things, like, and that's in our segments, we've talked about ugly coping. So the thing about ugly coping to relieve stress, and those are things like, you know, doom scrolling through the news or binge watching or doing gaming or drinking pot, pornography, uh, you know, all the kinds of things, junk food, retail therapy, those give us immediate relief. Uh, but the, it wears off pretty quickly, and it doesn't fix the problem. Wait, are you saying that the psychological list of damaging behaviors matches pretty closely the sorts of things that the church tells us are sinful behaviors? <laughs> yeah, and, and it also— It matches pretty wildly, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and it is, and, there, and we talk about virtuous habits, <clears throat> right? So by doing, you know, certain things. So if we look at, like, in my lifestyle, you know, my eating, sleeping, exercising, physical activity— do I have some uh, service that I'm doing to help other people? How are my relationships going? So if I'm really stressed out, I would say generally the question I ask my clients is what's out of balance in your life? Like, and you know, the thing about ugly coping or avoiding what anxiety wants us to do 
is to avoid the situation that we're afraid of that's uncomfortable. And it actually, it gives us immediate relief. It's a reinforcer. Uh, the anxiety, the stress goes away when we avoid something. I'm just going to go play games for a couple hours and I don't have to think about my marriage or my problems at work. Maybe I should change my job or my kid who's in trouble or, you know, the fact I'm drinking too much or whatever. So I don't need to look at that, but it comes back with a vengeance. So if I look at like, what am I avoiding? And if uh, the stress might be a sign that there's something in my life that I need to pay attention to. And that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means, you know, I need to get my courage up. And that's where prayer, talking with somebody, having an accountability partner, somebody that can guide me, a spiritual guide. And sometimes that's not enough. See, that's why if we do that as a first level, look at my lifestyle, look at my relationships, look at what I'm avoiding. And I'm still feeling really anxious and it and it's impairing. That's the key thing here, Matt, is it usually lasts for six months and it causes significant impairment in my daily activities. Well, that's not stress doesn't do that just on its own, but an anxiety disorder does. So Jesus also said, in the world you will have trouble, but take courage, I have conquered the world. So we can fall back on our faith, but use our primary care physician, use the psychologist, uh, use all the other tools that we have as well. Well, and if you, you've said in this and so many other segments, you can't fix this kind of thing like flipping a switch, right? It takes yep. a little bit of participation and work and, you know, just like anything else in our faith life, a little cooperation with grace. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot to be said uh, on this topic. Thank you for unpacking it a little. Kevin Prendergast, he's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. we got another full hour coming up here after the break. Please do stay with us as the Sunrise Morning Show continues. It's 3 till. It is Thursday, the 5th of October, the Feast of St. Faustina. Let's pray a prayer that shows up in her diary together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Help me, O Lord, that my eyes may be merciful, so that I may never suspect or judge from appearances, but look for what is beautiful in my neighbor's souls and come to their rescue. Help me, O Lord, that my ears may be merciful, so that I may give heed to my neighbor's needs and not be indifferent to their pains and moanings. Help me, O Lord, that my tongue may be merciful, so that I should never speak negatively of my neighbor, but have a word of comfort and forgiveness for all. Help me, O Lord, that my hands may be merciful and filled with good deeds, that I may do only good to my neighbors and take upon myself the most difficult and toilsome tasks. Help me, O Lord, that my feet may be merciful, so that I may hurry to assist my neighbor, overcoming fatigue and weariness. Amen. St. Faustina, pray for us. May we be merciful people today. Uh, there are a lot of people around us hurting who don't uh, maybe have the connection to faith, connection to Christ that you have. And uh, you could be those hands and feet, those ears and eyes of mercy in your world today. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ackman at the controls. Travis is working on the video live stream. You can view that through our show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Frank Donio along this morning with more thoughts on the spirituality of St. Vincent Pilati. 
We'll also talk Bible foods with Rita Heikenfeld this morning. More thoughts from Gary Machuda on the reliability of the gospel accounts in the New Testament. And then Courtney Brown will join join us from Rua Woods. They are a Theology of the Body education apostolate, and uh, they've got some grade school curriculum to talk about this morning. So uh, you don't need to wait until you know everything gets problematic in your teenage years to start having Theology of the Body conversations. There's ways to talk about it from the get-go. Right now, it's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. House Republicans are now in the midst of trying to find a new Speaker of the House after Kevin McCarthy was voted out of the role this week. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise of Louisiana both launched their bids yesterday. Oklahoma Congressman Kevin Hearn is also considered to be a likely contender. All three members made their pitch to the Texas delegation this morning, which is the largest in the Republican conference. The House is currently on recess, and a speaker election is set for next Wednesday. Catholic Relief Services is calling the Pope's latest apostolic exhortation a rallying cry for the crucial policy work needed to change paths to address climate change. CRS released a statement in the wake of the exhortation being released, saying, quote, In Laudate Deum, Pope Francis again calls us to action, highlighting the urgent need to care for our planet as the climate crisis deeply affects our global communities, especially the most vulnerable. At Catholic Relief Services, they say we stand with those communities facing the harsh impacts of the climate crisis from deadly droughts to forced migration. This unity drives our push for policies that lessen climate impacts and encourage sustainable development, end quote. The gathering of the Synod on Synodality is now underway in its second day in Rome. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. Taken one way, a synod is any such gathering of believers. Over the centuries, there have been many hundreds of them in many different Christian churches. In the Catholic Church, however, the term Synod of Bishops has taken on a special meaning since the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s. Following that council, Pope St. Paul VI established the Synod of Bishops to continue the collaboration between prelates, which had been such a great success at the meeting. This Synod of Bishops remains active to this day. It's consultative. That means it aims to help the Pope with his tasks of teaching and governing the Church, but it doesn't actually have any decision-making power itself. However, this meeting of the Synod of Bishops, which is referred to as a General Assembly, is unique in that participants will not only be members of the hierarchy. On Pope Francis's instruction, around 20% of attendees will be non-bishops, priests, male, female religious and lay people. Some of these were proposed by bishops' conferences around the world before being approved by Pope Francis. Others were appointed directly by the Pope. All will have the same voting rights as the bishops. Moreover, Pope Francis has specified that half of the non-bishop participants must be female. Thus, for the first time, women will have the right to vote at the General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops. The assembly will last a month to be followed by another one in October 2024. After that, the Pope is expected to release an apostolic exhortation, that is, a letter summarizing his takeaways from the meeting. I'm Francesca Merlo. 400 more Ford workers in Michigan are being told not to report to work today due to the United Auto Workers strike. Ford says the layoffs are for 350 employees at the Livonia Transmission Plant and 50 employees at the Sterling Axle Plant as those factories make parts for the Chicago Assembly Plant. The Chicago plant was included in the UAW's strike expansion 
last Friday. Ford officials claim the layoffs are not a lockout. Meanwhile, negotiations to end the Hollywood actors' strike will resume on Friday. The actors' union made the joint announcement yesterday with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. The statement said both sides met yesterday for a bargaining session and that negotiations will resume tomorrow with the parties working internally over the weekend before returning on Monday. The actors' union is seeking a new three-year contract from producers that includes protection from AI technology and more profits from streaming revenue. The head of Homeland Security is calling for construction of a border wall in parts of Texas. Mark Mayfield has the story. Fox News says DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is citing an acute and immediate need to waive dozens of federal laws to build a border wall in parts of Texas where illegal migration has surged recently. The announcement, published in the Federal Register, calls for border wall construction in Starr County along the Rio Grande, where the Biden administration says there is a high illegal entry. I'm Mark Mayfield. And Prada is helping to design NASA's new astronaut moon suits. The high fashion company was chosen to work on the suits by Axiom Space, a private company that was awarded a NASA contract last year to modernize its astronaut suits. Prada spacesuits will be worn on NASA's Artemis III mission in 2025 when the U.S. will send astronauts to the moon for the first time since 1972. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I'd recognize Prada if I saw it, to be honest. I um, am looking up images. Okay. So um, I don't know who can see me on the video live stream. Accessible through sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes. But I believe what I'm wearing today is not uh, Prada. I think it's um, J. Crew the Outlet con- Collection. Oh, neat. It might be J. Crew the Outlet Connection. Yes. Yeah, so if you go to the outlet near me and the J. Crew, uh, you can go and you can find stuff that's in the in the nice. back of the the man clearance rack. You know. Nice. I go. I go very very hard. Uh, although. Uh, I think my jeans may be Kirkland. I can I'm not one entirely up you. Certain. All, almost all, what I'm wearing today, it's all hand-me-downs from my younger sister who lives in New York City. I was going to say that it may say certain things on the level, level, but most of what I wear somehow or other is from the St. Vincent de Paul collection. So, yeah. uh, not most. <laughs> but there's, there's some good shirts. I feel you, man. Some good t-shirts gotta love it well today is thursday october the 5th it is the feast of saint faustina also the feast of blessed bartolo longo who is a favorite of us here on the sunrise morning show go look up his story from satanic priest to uh promoter apostle of the rosary pray for us it's nine past Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Frank Donio from the Catholic Apostolate Center. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Anna. So we've spent a few weeks together talking about the life and spirituality of St. Vincent Pallotti. Today we're going to talk about the legacy. So his spirituality lived today. Tell us about the Palatine family um, that, that looks to St. Vincent Pallotti as, as their father. Well, when Pilati died, he only had eight priests and and three brothers, uh, actually four brothers. And 
so this this little group that was there uh, was the only thing he had other than uh, a, a small group of of sisters in the orphanage that that had been created by the the group of lay people religious and clergy that he had founded which later came to be called the Union of Catholic Apostolate. And by 1854, he dies in 1850, 1854, the community loses its name of Society of the Catholic Apostolate because the name was always considered pretentious, that only uh, only the, the papacy and the hierarchy did the, could do apostolate. It was a whole scene. And we were named Pious Society of the Missions. Now, part of Pilates' charism was international missionary work or, or promotion of the missions and assistance for the missions. He never went to the missions, but he wanted to start a mission college and so forth. And later that did happen. And now the Palatines are 2,400, the priests and brothers, 2,400 in 56 countries wow. because of this international missionary effort. We didn't get our name back until 1947. And then we started to look again at the fullness of our charism, the aspect of, of lay people and religious and clergy collaborating with one another in the mission of Christ, this understanding that Pilate had of everyone being an apostle, which ended up in the documents of the Second Vatican Council and the decree of the apostle of the laity, and which St. John Paul II was part of writing, and so was the general of the Palatines at the time, Father Wilhelm Moller. And we we continued in this in this way, uh, and we have communities of sisters, two pontifical communities of sisters that are in different parts of the world, as well as uh, a number of other communities of sisters, communities of lay people, and individual lay people who belong to this association called the Union of Catholic Apostles. So thousands and thousands of people uh, throughout the world, and he was interested in as I've mentioned, universal apostolate. So we could do all sorts of things in terms of our work, as long as we were assisting people in coming to faith, either the, for the first time or reviving their faith mm -hmm. and rekindling charity. Can you talk and about so the various ways that that this um, this plays out in in the modern times? Like what kind of work do the Palatines do um, in the Catholic apostolate? Well, there's Catholic Apostolate Center, yeah, uh, the, uh, and that's part. That's part one of our more contemporary ways of doing that. Other ways in which we've we've done that are, are forming lay people, particularly uh, to be able to go forth and witness Christ in their daily lives. Uh, this is done also through educational institutions, even also healthcare, uh, in uh, in a, many many parishes often mission stations, remote mission stations. Uh, so it's also, it's the first, it's first evangelization, first proclamation, or the mission agentes, as they say, um, or in the church, or uh, this reviving faith or something that we would talk about in terms of new evangelization. And it is this opportunity, and Pilate understood this back in the 1830s in Rome, when this was not really something that was, was popular. And so, we ha we continue to do that today in all sorts of, of ways, but it it the key part because Pilate wanted a universal universality of activity and a universality of means. 
So whatever way we could do that, whether it's through publishing, whether it's through teaching, whether it's through being with a person at their sickbed, it's being with the poorest of the poor, whatever way we can do that, that brings Christ and we are being living as apostles and we're helping others to live as apostles. I mean, this is living out our baptism, is it not? Absolutely. And, and apostolate really is that. It's living out. It's living out the bap- our baptismal call, and maybe that's a a possible thing for us to talk more about in in future. What apostolate is, because unfortunately, even though that's a, a word that is used uh, greatly within the documents of the Second Vatican Council, it's a word we've kind of lost. Yeah, and and very and few people tend to use it, and yet it it, it doesn't. You don't need somebody's permission once you're baptized. You are part of the mission of doing the mission of Christ and going forth. Yeah, in union with the church. Um, of course. So when it comes to Palatine spirituality, um, I mean, I know that you don't have like an age cutoff per se, but it does seem like you particularly, Father Donio, and I'm wondering if this extends to to the Palatines in general, seem to have a, a real charism with youth. Yes, well, that was something that was was a was certainly part of of Pilates' way of uh, of functioning as well. He was very interested in in the education of youth, including including seminarians. He he worked with seminarians as well. So that kind of of work has been part of what we what we do. Uh, it's not certainly not the totality of what we do, mm-hmm. uh, and it, but it is a, a focus uh, in. In some of our work, in some instances, we're involved with educational institutions. But I would say in all of our different, in our parochial work and whatever we do, we do take a particular focus on youth because when you form people and you help them to be close to the church so that then they can go forth and proclaim Christ. And, And that needs, that really is important to do. At a with younger people, most most especially. Well, they got the energy. Yes, they do. <laughs> they do, but and but also it, it. Hopefully, you're you're they're moving in a particular direction for the rest of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Keep up that energy. Keep up the intensity. Is one of a great movie they say. In a good, never mind. I'm just going to leave it there. Father, this was great. And yes, I would love to talk more about what apostolate means. Um, perhaps maybe the next time we get together, the the difference between apostolate and ministry. Um, sure. And, That's and something I teach, yes. Perfect. We found the perfect man for the job. Father Frank Donio, we've got the Catholic Apostolate Center linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you so much. Thank you and God bless. You bet. I wonder if Matt knows that movie reference. I would be very curious to hear. Keep up the intensity. 17 past. I'll find out next. Headlines as well. Stay with us. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. 
Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, lighthouse work, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. Saints are the heroes of the Catholic faith. They serve as examples for all Catholics, showing us how to lead a more satisfying, more spiritual life in communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. View our comprehensive documentation of saints who serve as theologians and doctors of the church. Visit EWTN.com and click Catholicism. EWTN is the global Catholic network. 19 past, here's Anna with headlines. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise of Louisiana have both launched their bids to be the next Speaker of the House. The gathering of the Senate on Synodality is now in its second day of deliberations, and the U.S. bishops have welcomed the Pope's new apostolic exhortation on climate change. Today, the Feast of Blessed Bartolo Longo, former satanic priest who had a massive conversion became an apostle of the rosary founded the shrine of our lady of pompeii which if you go to the national shrine in washington dc you can see a uh, a little our lady of pompeii shrine you if you walk in the front oh, really? big doors oh, and you hang a that. immediate left and look towards the back it's a little, huh. little chapel in there cool um but since we connect everything that we can to the game of baseball mm-hmm. we want to wish a happy name day to Bartolo Colon, nice legendary pitcher, who nice. played for 11 different teams in his 22-year career, three of which, the Twins, Rangers, and Braves, are still in the playoffs. Wow. So there you go. There you have it. And I did catch your movie reference, Anna Mitchell, The Keep Up the Intensity. You do know that movie? All I can say is, why are you wearing tape on your nose? Exactly. That's all I've got. Exactly. Exactly. Anna Mitchell... Anna Mitchell goes for the obscure movie references. Well, anything with Wes Anderson, basically. Yes. That explains that explains your uh, your wardrobe from the kicker from the news segment yes, as well. Absolutely, the Wes Anderson collection. <laughs> it's twenty one past. I'm and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. An act of hope. So powerful and so merciful, O God, you draw me to yourself. Trusting in your goodness, I hope to rise above this earthly life and be with you forever in the next. By faith, I am certain that you are faithful to all your promises. You are loyal to your covenant. Even now, you grasp my hand and offer peace to my heart, promising that with your help, I will one day see you face to face. Not founded on what I deserve, nor on what my poor powers can accomplish, but on your unfailing grace, my hope is in you, the Lord of hosts, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Savior of the world. Not cast aside because of my faults, I am lifted up by your mercy, which has guided and preserved me, until at last I come to my true home, the haven where the saints dwell everlastingly, entirely, joyfully, and definitively, the heaven of the Blessed Trinity. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com. And we always like to take a look at events and uh, foods mentioned in the Bible and take a look at how they're all connected and maybe uh, use those as a way to meal plan liturgically according to the season. Rita, good morning. Morning, and we've got a couple good ones today. Yeah, and they kind of dial into, at least to start, uh, the idea that October is dedicated to the rosary. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. And, you know, um, one of the most popular mysteries is, is the luminous mysteries, Matt. And w- the reason is, I think, and they focus on the life of Jesus and the work he did, really from the time he was baptized to, to offering the first Eucharist. And um, one of the most recognizable events is when Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Most of us remember that. Um, as far as reading about it and learning about it, it was a really the very first miracle Jesus performed. And I was wondering if you could give your take on it as far as what happened there. Well, there's just so much to unpack uh, because, you know, not only is this Jesus' first miracle, you know, it kind of kicks off uh, a lot of other miracles down the road, but it's just mm-hmm. such a cool window into what Catholics believe about the role of Mary in the life of the Church, right? Because she goes and makes petition on behalf of people, right? But then she turns around to the people and says, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> so there's just such a great way to understand uh, where Mary fits into everything uh, in regard to this. But, um, you know, of course, there are these water jars, uh, 20 to 30 gallons, uh, mm-hmm. Jesus says, fill those up with water. The servants do that, and then Jesus asks them to dip some out and take it to the master ceremonies. And, uh, of course, the servants follow those instructions. And uh, can you imagine having been that master ceremonies, Rita? I don't know how you would have reacted, but I can imagine it was a strange scene. Oh, my gosh. Uh, first of all, I have to think that um, Mary, you know, she was a mom, and she told Jesus, you need to do something, even though he didn't think the timing was right yet. He, he did, as his mom said. Yeah, and when the servants um, filled those uh, jugs, those, took those water jars over to the master of ceremonies and told him to taste it, I, they were probably wondering what the heck's going on. He tasted it, um, and he was just amazed at 
water had turned into wine, but not just any wine. It was a real high-quality wine, Matt. Um, and then you think of this analogy, you know, at, at every other celebration, and, and this is true today even, um, people might serve the best wine first, and then later when the guests were, oh, what I would say, rather tipsy and maybe couldn't tell the difference, um, the lesser uh, wine would be brought out. But at Cana, the best wine was saved for last. And I think the lesson here, and I want your take on this too, is we need to take our hopes and, and plans to Jesus, but accept his answer. Be patient, because as we always say, his timing is perfect timing. It may not be ours, but it's perfect. What do you think? I, I like it, and I think that Jesus is always kind of building us towards something better and greater, right? Mm-hmm. Even if we can't see, uh, right? Even if it all looks like water around us, he's got some... He's always got something that we don't know about uh, that is uh, waiting for us down the line. But since we're talking about weddings, uh, and since we are entering into fall more deeply, and this is soup season, you've got an Italian wedding soup uh, that's a great recipe and is actually not that complicated. Oh, no. it's I call it wedding soup. It's not a true Italian wedding soup. It's sort of a riff on the classic because it's really, really simple. Um, and I'll have this on my site along with your minestrone, which is... Amazing, I have to say. Um, but with the um, easy Italian wedding soup, you just um, take some escarole or a romaine or spinach and cut it up and then set it aside. And then you make real simple teeny tiny meatballs out of ground chucks, some Parmesan, breadcrumbs, milk, and an egg, and uh, some salt and pepper. And basically you um, make those marble-sized meatballs and cook them in some chicken broth. And then you add noodles or rice and cook it all together, and to serve it, um, you take two hard-boiled eggs and just divide it among the bowls, slice those eggs thin, ladle the soup on top, and then give it a shower of Parmesan. Really simple and delicious, and as I said, really sort of nice for fall weather. And you need to tell us about your minestrone because it is so versatile, and I have made it, oh gosh, a couple times, but you, of course, took a, a classic recipe and did a matte thing with it. Well, the way that I've done it uh, in the past, and I haven't made it yet this year, uh, but um, it's it's a lot of minestrone type ingredients, uh, mm-hmm. but because it's kind of like the autumn minestrone, uh, I, I've used buttercup squash before. I've also I've used butternut squash. I've even used delicata squash. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people may not realize that most of the gourds that you buy for decoration are also edible, <laughs> so you could uh, chop up a fair amount of those and uh, and use this. But the other um, the aspect of this that I, I throw in kale and I kind of eyeball it. So these, you know, ingredients can go to taste, but it's also got onions, garlic, uh, some kind of winter squash, uh, celery, mm-hmm. carrots, cubed potatoes. Oregano is a secret ingredient here. It's not even that much of a secret, but it really kind of pushes everything together. And then, you know, wa- water, vegetable broth, uh, chopping the kale, cannellini beans, which are a personal favorite of mine. And yeah, I mean, you just, Saute the onions and garlic, and then you kind of dump it all in. I mean, it's not super complicated, which is the great thing about soup this time of year. Yeah, and it, it's, it's so versatile, too. And I love um, the oregano because that's a, a secret ingredient. When you say secret, it really does lend a lot of flavor to soups. And a lot of times, um, being Lebanese, we didn't use so much oregano growing up um, like other uh, Middle Eastern or Mediterranean uh, cooks, but we used a lot of marjoram, which is a cousin to oregano, but sort of more floral. So both of these are wonderful recipes. Um, And take us back to Cana this time of year. 
Well, and the uh, other trick with both of our soups that we mentioned today is you make a big pot, you save some, and the leftovers are actually even better than the mm-hmm. first run because things have had a time to well, time to get together in there. So uh, we've got abouteating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Head on over, get Rita's recipes, maybe share some of your own favorite soup recipes. Thanks so much, Rita. Have a wonderful day. Okay, Matt, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Again, abouteating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna with news. Good morning. House Republicans are now in the midst of trying to find a new Speaker of the House after Kevin McCarthy was ousted earlier this week. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise of Louisiana both launched their bids yesterday. Oklahoma Congressman Kevin Hearn has also been considered to be a likely contender. The House is currently on recess and a speaker election is set for next Wednesday. The General Assembly of the Senate on Synodality is now in the second day of deliberations. The delegates will be meeting all month long in Rome. The Catholic News Agency reports as they began the gathering yesterday, the Relator General of the Senate, Cardinal Jean-Claude Holerich, encouraged them to read the signs of the times in order to discover a, quote, grammar of synodality for our time. He said, quote, just like the grammar of our languages changes as they develop, so does the grammar of synodality. It changes with time, end quote. The lead bishop for environmental issues for the Bishops' Conference of England and Wales has said the Pope's new apostolic exhortation on climate change is a pressing call to address the current current climate and environmental crisis with immediate action. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In a video interview published on the website of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales, Bishop John Arnold explains why, after the publication of the Laudato Si encyclical letter in 2015, the time for renewed action for the environment is now. It was a very powerful statement, but it was with strong warnings. And the unfortunate thing is that eight years on, several COP meetings later, we really have not been achieving the targets that those COP meetings have agreed. And the damage is not being reduced. In fact, in some ways, it's increasing. And some of the predictions of the environmentalists about what will be happening to the climate are proving to have been um, simplified. And they're actually accelerating faster now than those environmentalists were thinking. Bishop Arnold remarks that there are many reasons for action. Echoing Pope Francis' words, the English bishop therefore reiterates that each and every one of us has our part to play to address the crisis. I think we've got to understand that we are stewards of creation. Each and every one of us has our part to play. They may seem to be trivial measures that we take in order to save electricity, save water, eat less red meat, all these sorts of things, all small in themselves. But if we put them together, then they do make a big difference. From a Christian perspective, the lead bishop for environmental issues recalls that we can't take the most important commandments seriously unless we include nature and the environment. If we're really going to love our neighbour, we've got to look after the world in which we live because too many people are suffering through climate change and we've plundered other nations for our profit. I am Lisa Zingarini. The U.S. bishops have welcomed the new exhortation. James Rogers, chief communications officer for the USCCB, released a statement yesterday saying, quote, USCCB president Archbishop Timothy Broglio has been on retreat with the synod delegates and is participating in the opening sessions 
Archbishop Brolio and his brother bishops in the United States look forward to spending time with the exhortation in prayer and identifying ways to continue their shared witness on behalf of God's creation, end quote. President Biden plans to soon deliver a major speech on the importance of supporting Ukraine in its war with Russia. Biden told reporters at the White House yesterday he'll make the argument it's overwhelmingly in the interest in, of the U.S. that Ukraine succeed. Funeral services for the late U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein will take place in San Francisco today. The now private service will take place this afternoon on the steps of San Francisco City Hall. The late U.S. Senator and first female mayor of San Francisco died last week at the age of 90. President Biden's dog, Commander, is no longer living at the White House. The two-year-old German Shepherd has a history of biting Secret Service agents and those working at the president's home. Yesterday, CNN reported the dog is no longer living in the White House as the president and first lady decide where the best place for him is. There, there's been at least 11 reported incidents of commander biting people. That's the news. It's 35 past the. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, how could they be saved who lived before the Son of God became man? Of course, the Son of God became man at a particular time. And so it would seem that only those after he was born could be saved by him. How could Abraham be saved by the one who was Abraham's descendant? Christ answers that question because he says, Before Abraham was, I am. In his divinity, Christ's power now extends to all time, all places, all people. It is as if we drop a rock into a pond. The ripples don't simply go in one direction. They radiate outward from that drop in all directions. And just in the same way through the incarnation, the grace of Christ now embraces all humanity who accept him. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Gary Machuda. He is the author of a number of books, including a new one, a newer one, called The Gospel Truth, and it goes into the reasons why we can trust the gospel accounts. Gary, good morning. Morning, Matt. So you have uh, this whole argument that you kind of lay out 
uh, and this is in chapter 5, about the, the idea that we, we want to be able to verify Jesus' miraculous works somehow um, in order to be able to say, oh, well, we can trust the Gospels. But that's kind of hard to do because these are from a very long time ago. But it's also easier to do than if he did them all completely privately and then just told us about them later. So if you could, you, you've kind of got this analogy of a miracle worker in a basement and you extrapolate it out to help us understand why these accounts are more trustworthy than people might think. Yeah, yeah I, um, so I do this little mental exercise, and, you know, a lot of the, my book is based on common sense. It, basically, I said, picture somebody who claimed to have performed a, a miraculous healing in his basement. And that's an incredibly small footprint, right, because how could you verify that there actually was a miraculous healing that occurred. All you have is the word of the miracle worker and uh, the person healed. I suppose you could probably look at medical records for the person healed, but that's about it. You know, it's a very, very, very small window that you could verify. So I, I say, okay, let's put more witnesses in the basement. Let's let's say twelve witnesses and have them there, and they witness the miracle. Well. You know, what's the possibility that this could be true and authentic? Or, you know, could it be a hoax? And, you know, the the footprints kind of made a little bigger, because now you have the two people, the, the mir- purported miracle worker, the purported person that was healed, but you also have people who witnessed it. But, you know, in my book, I keep throwing in extra skeptical things. Like, you know what, there's lots of uh, magicians out there, illusionists, if they control the environment, they can make things appear as if they happened when they didn't. And so we say, okay, well, let's see if we can make this a little bit more difficult. Let's take them out of the basement. Let's put them out on uh, some environment that he can't control. You have the 12 witnesses. You have the person healed and the magician. You know, then the window gets a little bigger, and we just keep expanding it and expanding it until eventually you get to a point where it's a situation where it's incredibly hard to pull a, a hoax. For example, you have multiple locations in front of multiple unstaged audiences, and we even throw in the mix some people who, can, you know, it's in their best interest to debunk the person doing it. And, you know, you have layer upon layer of things that make it almost impossible for uh, a magic trick, hoax, uh, fabrication to be pulled off. And then I ask the question, well, when you look at the Gospels, what fits best? Is it the miracle worker in the basement, or is it that last scenario? And what I show is that, that, you know, there's all different uh, layers of witnesses, but often you find it's the most difficult situation to pull off a hoax. You know, it's Jesus did his miracles in multiple locations in front of unstaged audiences, some of which were his followers, some were actually hostile to his claims. Uh, you also have pastor buyers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it really does achieve the highest possible level for someone who's really skeptical to be verified. Well, Internet atheists, but also um, really kind of progressive biblical scholars will tend to say things about certain kinds of these miracles to say, well, you know, this is 
this might not have been a miracle. It might have just been sort of perceived to be one. So let's say Jesus comes to someone who's, uh, you know, distressed, and the scripture says they're possessed by a demon. But maybe Jesus has just kind of like got a really calming presence, and this person just sort of calmed down because they saw that Jesus was a peaceful person, and that started them on kind of a path towards, you know, something better. Or, uh, you know, maybe this person's, you know, fever just happened to break around the time that Jesus showed up, right? Or uh, perhaps... Mm-hmm. You know, the, the most famous one is uh, the real miracle of the multiplication is that Jesus, you know, asked for somebody to give something. This kid brought something and all these people are like, yeah, you know what, maybe I'll share my lunch, too. Uh, but <laughs> you can't you, you can you can go round and round with people on that, but you can't go round and round on that with a guy who everybody saw mud get rubbed in his eyes. And now he can look and now the Pharisees are examining him. <laughs> right. right exactly. Um, you can't you can't do that with those, which makes it more likely that those others that you could sort of debate were actually probably miracles, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's you know, you can diminish miracles to a point, and then it gets absurd. Like, uh, some people say that the, the Jews crossing the Red Sea was actually, they were, they were crossing the sea at a point where it was only three or four inches deep. And, you know, if you minimize it that much, then you have an even greater miracle on the other end, because the Egyptian army got drowned in three inches of water, right? <laughs> so if, you know, Jesus' miracles is merely that he calmed somebody that was really upset and they thought it was a demonic possession, like you just said, the greater miracle is that Jesus' own enemies would mistake this as something incredible. And, of course, they didn't. They, they, in fact, they never even contested the fact that he did it. They just contested whether it came from God or not. Well, or they contested his timing of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Uh, they, their their issue uh, was not that he did not perform a miracle. It was, why did you do this on the Sabbath, right? I mean, it's very—it's a weird argument to make, isn't it? Like, right. if, if, if the miracle didn't happen, if a man's withered hand, you know, you could see somebody stretch out their hand and, like, in real time— it is healed. I mean, these are strange, strange things to even claim as miracles. I mean, you know, the the raising from the dead of Lazarus, that's a that's a hard thing to fake. Uh, I mean, you could say, oh, well, Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus were all in on this thing, and here's the deal. You're going to lay in there wrapped up for four days. You know, it it just becomes preposterous if you try and explain some of these away. I, there's just not a reasonable or rational way to do it. Yeah, in fact, you brought up a really good point that I didn't put in my book, is that in our imagination, we often think these people only exist when Jesus came to heal them. But, like, for example, the man born blind, you have a whole host of people that have interacted with him throughout his entire life. So they knew the exact nature and extent of his illness, right? So that when it's healed, you know, then you have those same people who can verify that there was an instantaneous radical change. And, you know, so, you know, if you look at the Gospels with that kind of realism, yeah, it's almost impossible to say that these are misdiagnosed, you know, uh, small things that just so happen to all occur. And like you said, rather surprisingly, with this guy named Jesus. Well, I mean, as I'm going through and thinking of that case of the man born blind, uh, you the the level of long game you'd have to play to pull off that you know, that scam. <laughs> you'd just be like, all right, I, 
so I'm going to approach this couple getting ready to give birth, and I need them to convince their child from the moment it's able to speak to tell everybody that it's blind. And then, you know, decades later, we're going to pull off the we're going to pull off the trick. <laughs> I mean, like it's, yeah. it would be insane to try and think about what would necessarily go into to try and pull that off as though it was just a mere illusion. Uh, there has to be something deeper and richer there. Right. It's the equivalent of the Egyptian army being drowned in three inches of water, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a lot more to say about this uh, and the reliability of the Gospels. You can find these arguments and others in Gary Machuda's book. It's called The Gospel Truth. It's uh, all about uh, how we can know what Christ really did teach and do. It's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Gary, thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Matt. You too. All right, 14 till. We're back right after this. We need your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Koharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Mystic Monk Coffee has brought back their pumpkin spice blend, and unlike the competition, buying their coffee has the added bonus of supporting the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming and the Sunrise Morning Show. Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click the Mystic Monk link to get that or any of their other coffee blends or teas. When you check out, we earn a commission. And there's no better vessel for your Mystic Monk pumpkin spice latte than a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug. Find those in our online store. Do pumpkin spice the Catholic way. Just head on over to sonrisemorningshow.com. This month's devotion is to the Holy Rosary. St. John Paul II called the Rosary his favorite prayer, in which we meditate with Mary upon the mysteries, which she, as a mother, meditated on in her heart. The Rosary is one of the most cherished prayers of our Catholic faith. Join in this devotion to Mary and strengthen our connection to Our Lady with rosary beads, bracelets, boxes, pouches, and rings. Available at EWTNRC.com. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Jimmy Aiken, Mark Brumley, two hours of open forum. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Twelve minutes before the hour, here's Anna with headlines. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise of Louisiana have both launched their bids to be the next Speaker of the House. The General Assembly of the Synod on Synodality is now in its second day of deliberations, and the U.S. bishops have issued a statement welcoming the new apostolic exhortation from Pope Francis, which was released yesterday. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Courtney Brown, Executive Director of the Rua Woods Institute. Courtney, 
Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, Annie. How are you? I am doing just fine. Always excited when I get to talk to you. Um, Our Cincinnati audience, I think, is quite familiar with the Rua Woods Institute. Our national audience may not be. So could you quickly give us a description of your mission? Sure. So Rua Woods Institute, our mission is to form and equip and accompany men and women to live out their vocation according to God's plan for love. And we do it through what's informed in the theology of the body. So we're a theology of the body-based ministry that helps with psychological services here. But we also have a national outreach where we try to bring uh, this beautiful teaching of theology of the body to schools and parishes. Yeah, and you do that through this curriculum that you have. And I know you recently revised it for uh, children in grades kindergarten through fifth grade. We're going to be starting a series talking about each of these levels. But in general, Courtney, how does this curriculum work? So we have a K-12 curriculum, but it's kind of the best way to look at it. It has an approach that has four different pillars. So the first one is it's we're trying to transmit the worldview that was laid out in a Christian anthropology that John Paul II had, this idea that the world is good, the body in itself is good, right? So mm-hmm. God created us, made a body, and the body is good. And that's kind of what our culture has a hard time with right now is this idea that God God made the body good, and it reveals something of himself. And we know that God is good. And then the second pillar is this idea of awakening wonder, trying to instill in students and children and those who we teach this idea of wonder and awe, like the time and the space, this idea of seeing the world as gift, seeing each other as a gift, and understanding that we are a gift and that we're made in the image and likeness of God. And from there this idea that our curriculum has activities that puts this into an experience. So the theology of the body is meant to be experienced. So this curriculum isn't just something that we disseminate knowledge to the students, but it's for them to be experiencing that which they're learning. So which is ultimately leading to this approach that we use called dialectic. So our curriculum is very dialogical, which comes from those Socratic Western roots, you know, of uh, question and answer. But it's really meant to just get the kids to really process what they're learning. So we use a very dialectical approach in terms of teaching this information. And for children, particularly in in the earlier grades, you actually use children's literature to help them enter into this teaching, correct? Why do you do that? Yeah, so the for the K-5, to we use classical literature. And the reason is, is from what Dr. Sutherland put, you know, put so well is that teaches with both sides of the brain. It connects both of them. And not to mention, too, that idea of story, the power of story teaching deeper truths. So we know Jesus did that, right, with parables, but we also have these uh, literature books that have such great value and such, uh, what I like to say, is timeless truths, right? Not things that are trendy in time. And not to say, you know, the Dogman series or Captain Underpants isn't isn't worth reading, per se. Oh, Courtney, don't get me started. (laughs) It's just one of those things where those aren't necessarily literature that holds timeless truths, right, that bring us to understand what it means to be a human being. Oh, gosh, I hope my daughter is listening to you right now, Courtney. Please go on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, mean, you can say those things are funny, but, I mean, that's really about the only value it brings. (laughs) But in terms of, you know, those deep nuggets of, like, when you look at classic stories, 
it actually teaches about life and how and how suffering matter how to get through suffering too, right? Like yeah. so some of these things that Disney so eloquently gets out of, like gets rid of, right? So yeah. So yeah, use the story to convey these deep truths. Yeah. So what did you revise? I should say, I should start off this question by saying there are a number of dioceses and schools that have already implemented this curriculum. I know here in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, it's a, a diocesan-wide thing. So so there will be some listening now that have already been using this curriculum. But what did you revise? So in the K-5, to what we ended up doing in there is not the revision came more for how to actually teach it and deliver it into a classroom. So in terms of its method and its approach and the stories we used, that didn't that didn't change. Some of the activities we we updated some new activities, but we what we really did in the teacher's guide is we did two things here. We actually broke it up. So this is how to do the lesson, these are the activities to do that. This is when to do it, here's the prayer. So we and almost in a way wanted to make it out of the box ready and then we added this whole new student activities book too for the k-5 to to where all the things the teachers were um, printing themselves and making copies of we made that we took it made it easier for them by giving students access to that without them having to do that so the students now have an company piece to the curriculum and we i meant to i forgot to mention student but inside we also put some tidbits for parents and ways that they can talk to their children about the stuff that they're learning from that particular lesson. So there's some updates in there. So that was what we did to revise it. In terms of its methodological approach, as I mentioned before, that stayed the same. So, and we and the stories have stayed the same as well. Sure, okay. So we are gonna be doing some mini lessons uh, on each of these uh, over the next few weeks together, Courtney. But before we let you go today, can you just talk about the uh, the feedback that you've gotten so far from, from teachers and dioceses and DREs and the like about how this is being received by children? So the, a lot of the feedback we get is extremely positive and that the kids are one of the most things that the teachers love is the, the presentation and how beautiful it is when, so we use a lot of sacred art and how that helps, but that idea of the dialectic, constantly get emails about just how impressed teachers were with the conversations that were happening in their classrooms. But sometimes we, as educators, well, I don't say educators, but sometimes we can think that kids can't quite grasp deep things, but they actually can, and they just need help guiding them to learn how to articulate that. And they're having experiences, too, and one of the things we want to make sure as teachers and educators and parents, is we want to make sure that we're helping them articulate those experiences. So we get a lot of that. And then also to the activities and how much the kids really love theology of the body and how when they talk about it and talking about themselves as gifts and how they are they're made in his image. And that, I remember one kid said, I'm not a mistake. I'm not. Especially wow. when yeah, you know, cool. if if that is all that they take away from it, that is a huge victory. It's called Revealed, God's Plan for the Human Person. You can find Rua Woods linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Courtney, thank you so much. No problem. You have a great day, Annie. You too. Thank you. All right, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.